Good morning and welcome to our service. We're so glad that you're here today. We are going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the passage read just a moment ago. And I want to call your attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, and we will go down through verse 22. We're grateful to those of you that are visiting. As always, we encourage you to come back. Grateful that you've chosen to come our way today. And as always, if you are looking for a church home, we'd love to have you come and be a part of the church here at Isla Branch. Very grateful for all the visitors who come our way on a regular basis. We are looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as I said a moment ago, verses 16 through 22. In this chapter, really the latter part of this chapter, Paul presents to us a series of what I would call bullet points for Christian living. And Paul, in a very candid and concise way, puts Christianity into perspective for us. Somewhat of a code for us to live by. And so let me just very quickly read to you again what Paul says. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I want to begin by, first of all, talking about our attitude. There are some things here that Paul presents by way of bullet points that will help us live the Christian life. And so I want to call attention to some things that really stand out in this chapter. First, Paul addresses our attitude. Listen again to what he says in verse 16. Rejoice always. I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you a joyful Christian? You know, the Bible says rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Are you a joyful Christian? Is it possible that you are a jaded Christian? In other words, because of things that have happened to you in life, setbacks, adversities, trials, tribulations, temptations, rather than being a joyful Christian, you are a jaded Christian. And the idea is you've become cynical and sour, critical of everything and everyone. Are you a joyful Christian? A jaded Christian? Or is the jury still out? Let me just give you a couple of reasons why I believe we ought to be joyful Christians. We ought to, we ought to rejoice because we have been redeemed by the Lamb's blood. The Bible tells us that we are the recipients of the blood that was shed on Calvary. Peter said, We have been redeemed not by corruptible things, such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without spot and without blemish. Paul would write to the church at Ephesus and say, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And so Jesus has redeemed us from the bondage of sin. In other words, He has bought us. 
He's bought us, and He has sought us out through His Word. And so we enjoy the power of the blood of Christ availing in our lives. And then I think about the fact that not only have we been bought with the blood of Christ and blessed in so many, many ways, but I think about the tremendous hope that we have through Christ because of our redemption. He has redeemed us from the bondage of sin. He's freed us from the burden of sin because Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, there is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And so to know that we can stand before God one day pure and holy in His sight, without blame as Paul would say. So, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But also, we ought to rejoice because we are registered in the Lamb's book. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul speaks of those whose names are written in the book of life. Do you remember in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus said to His disciples on one occasion, Rejoice! Why? Because He said, Your names are written in heaven. Paul said we ought to rejoice always. Why? Because we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb because our names have been registered in the Lamb's book. In Revelation chapter 20, the Apostle John said he saw God sitting upon His throne high and lifted up, as Isaiah would say in the long ago. And John would tell us that before that throne were the small and the great. And he said the books were opened. And then he said another book was opened, which is the book of life. And so is your name in the Lamb's book of life. What the Bible says is that if we belong to the body of Christ, if we're faithful, our names are registered in heaven. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, the writer said to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, listen now, who are registered in heaven. Let me tell you what, we've got a lot to be grateful for, don't we? We talk about our attitude. Rather than being jaded, we ought to be joyful. We ought to, as Paul said, rejoice always. A second thing here. First, our attitude. Secondly, our gratitude. Note, if you would, verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. I want to submit to you today that we ought to be grateful for the goodness of God. We ought to have gratitude in our hearts for the goodness of God. Do you remember the psalmist in Psalm 34, in verse 8? He said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Every blessing that you enjoy, whether physical or spiritual, comes from whom? From God. The psalmist said in Psalm 68, 19, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits or blessings. All the blessings that we have come from God, don't they? James said every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. And so all of these great physical blessings, but also those spiritual blessings. In Ephesians 1.3, Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
And so, if you're a Christian, you're rich, blessed. And really what Paul is saying is that we ought to learn to be grateful for everything that we have to enjoy in this life. We ought to be grateful for our physical blessings, our mental blessings. We ought to be grateful for our financial blessings and most of all our spiritual blessings. So, gratitude for the goodness of God and what about gratitude for the graciousness of God? You ever thought about how gracious God is to us? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Peter said, If you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. God is a very gracious God, isn't he? Let me show you how this works. Back up and look, if you would, at verse 17. Paul had just said, Rejoice always, and then... He follows that bullet point by saying, pray without ceasing. Now we talk about the gracious God in heaven that we serve. Let me tell you what, we serve a gracious God who first and foremost will hear us, won't he? Paul said, pray without ceasing to know that you have the ear of God anytime, day or night. Seven days a week, God is willing to attend to every single prayer. Solomon, many, many years ago, said that the Lord delights in the prayers of the upright. So you think about when you go before the throne of God in prayer, that God is, as we would say, all ears. He is attentive to every single syllable that we utter in life. You ever had a problem in life and you call somebody, maybe you call a friend, a family member, and you're wanting someone to maybe confide in or just blow off some steam? You need somebody to just listen to you, to hear you out. Sometimes when you make that call, sometimes when you make a visit to somebody and you're looking for encouragement and strength and counsel, you want somebody to just listen to you. Sometimes what do they say? Not right now. I don't have time. Or I don't want to be involved. Look, God is willing to be involved in our lives, isn't he? And really what the Bible says is, number one, God graciously hears us. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. So here's God listening attentively to every single word that we utter up before His throne. But not only does God hear us, but the Bible assures us that God helps us graciously. He graciously hears us. He graciously helps us. Where would you be in life without the Lord? Think about all the spiritual blessings that you enjoy. First and foremost, of course, we would think about forgiveness. To know that our sins have been forgiven, we've been redeemed. But all the spiritual blessings that you enjoy in Christ, is it not the case that one of the greatest spiritual blessings that you use every single day is prayer? And how often do you go before the throne of God expressing your gratefulness to Him for what He has done, for all of your blessings, but how many times do you go before the throne of God and you have a genuine need in your life? Or you're struggling with some anxiety? 
or there's something that is weighing you down. Jesus would identify it as the cares of the world. And you go before the throne of God, and you go because, number one, you know He's going to hear you, and number two, because you trust that God and God alone will help you. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you remember what James said? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And in James chapter 5, James cites Elijah, that great prophet of old, who was a man of prayer. And so, are there times in life when we need God? Yes, absolutely. Are there times in life when, quite honestly, we don't know where to turn, we don't know what to do? We have difficulty making a decision? Again, the answer would be yes. And so we go before the throne of God, we lay it before Him, and we trust that God will bless us and respond to our prayers accordingly. And so, should we be grateful? Yes, we should. And Paul here, first he addresses our attitude. Secondly, he talks about gratitude. And then thirdly, our aptitude. Drop down, if you would, and look at verse 21. Paul said in verse 21, Test all things, prove all things, hold fast what is good. Now one of the things that stands out in the Scriptures is that God wants us, really mandates us to grow as one of His children. It would be abnormal if we weren't growing, wouldn't it? You think about a baby born into this world. Now look at some of the children that have been born into this world the last couple of years and how much they've grown and how quickly they've grown. And you can see it almost on a daily basis how they are growing and learning. They're like little sponges. Well, Peter said, as a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow thereby. When Paul, or rather Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he would say, grow in the grace and knowledge of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So God wants us to grow. God expects us to grow. One of the reasons why we need to grow is so that we will have the ability to discern what is right and wrong. And what we have to do is come to appreciate and understand that there is a standard by which we test or prove all things. Well, what's that standard? It's God's Word. In Hebrews chapter 5, the writer there addresses Christians in the first century that were not growing as they should have been. They were still, as we would say, on milk, and they weren't able to digest strong meat, spiritual food. And so what the Hebrew writer says is one of the byproducts of knowing the Word of God is you have the ability to discern between that which is right and wrong. So you want to succeed as a Christian? Well, the answer is yes. You want to be successful as a child of God? You want to be prosperous in life? Then you've got to know the Word. Why? Because God's Word is going to help you make wise decisions in life. If you don't know the Scriptures, you're going to be in a lot of trouble because God's Word is all-sufficient. And by the way, God's Word hasn't changed either. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. 
And so God's Word is the standard. All right? Here's the question. How then can I measure my growth? How can I determine whether or not I am growing as a child of God? Well, let me just give you a couple of things. First, is your life about Christ? Yes or no? Here's what Jesus said. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6, Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? It's a yes or no question, isn't it? Either we are or we aren't. If we're seeking first the kingdom of God, then like Paul, we can say, for to me to live is Christ. In other words, my life is about whom? It's about Christ. He is that central point in my life. Everything revolves around Him. He's the hub, so to speak. He is the focal point. And so my life is centered on Jesus. When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he encouraged them to set their minds, set their affections on things above. And he said, not on things which are on this earth. In verse 4 of chapter 3, he said, when Christ, who is our life. So how do you know if you're growing? How do you know if you are growing as a child of God, if you're where you ought to be? Well, number one, is Christ central to your life? We'd say it like this. Life, my life, is all about Christ. Let me give you a second thing. Are you learning? Do you know more today than you did this time last year? Are you spending time reading and studying the Scriptures? If we want to grow, there's only one way to grow. And that is we've got to delve into the Word of God, we've got to roll up our sleeves and study and continue studying. It's not easy, but it's mandated. Think about the psalmist of old when he said, he meditated on the law of Jehovah day and night, Psalm 1-2. In Psalm 119, he said, Oh, how I love your law, it's my meditation all the day. So, how familiar are you with God's Word? If somebody were to ask you a biblical question, could you answer it? If somebody were to ask you at work this week, what is God's plan of salvation? Could you give them an answer from the Word of God? If somebody were to ask you, what does the Bible say about prayer? What would you say? Or what if somebody asked you about the church? And they said, you know, I see all these different churches in the world. How do I know which one's right? Are they all right? Are they all wrong? Is there one that's right? Is there a way whereby I can determine that I am a member of the church that I read about in Scripture? Could you give that answer? Or what if somebody asks you, why do you take the Lord's Supper every first day of the week? Where I attend, we only take it once a year. What would you say? Look, these are viable questions. If you can't answer these questions, then you need to start studying. If you've been a Christian for a long, long time and you don't know the answer to these questions, then let me tell you what, you need to get busy. I'm convinced a lot of folks in the church, when, it's, when push comes to shove, bottom line is they don't know what the Bible teaches. Can you give a Bible answer for a, for a Bible question? Do you remember the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4? He asked the question, 
What does the scripture say? We need to be able to give an answer to every question. Maybe we can't quote the verse, but we can at least open the Bible and say, okay, can you read this with me? So, is your life about Christ? Are you learning more and more about Christ? What about, are you a leaven for good? Are you salt in a world filled with dirt and grime? Are you a leavening agent for good in this world? Are you influential at work, at school, on the ball field? When people see you in the community, do they see somebody who is an influence for Christ? Are you a light for Christ? Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Are you demonstrating light day in and day out? Are you laboring for Christ? Is it a labor of love as the Hebrew writer talks about in Hebrews chapter 6? Are you involved in the work of the church? Look, we're talking about how do you measure growth in the life of a Christian? Here it is. Your life has to be about Christ. You've got to be learning about Christ. You've got to be a leavening agent for good. You've got to be a light in this world. You've got to labor in the kingdom of God. And I would add to that, you need to be leading people to Christ. Go back and read about the first century church. Do you know why the church was growing at such an astounding rate? I challenge you, read the book of Acts. And I want to tell you right now, the church in the first century grew because people were on fire for the Lord. They recognized that God had saved them from sin, and so their, life, their life's goal was to present the truth to other people. Look, people are lost and dying in sin. And the only way they're going to know the truth of the gospel and only the truth will set them free is for us to reach out and teach people, right? So, when we talk about measuring your growth, where you stack up, would you pass or fail? Would the Lord say to you, if, if the Lord were to be here today and He were to begin asking you a series of questions, let's just say He asked this question, Am I first in your life? Yes or no? What would you say? What would you say? Yes? Or in all honesty and candor, would you have to say, you know what, Lord? You're not. I've got to be honest with you. You have to answer that question. So, First, our attitude. Secondly, our gratitude. Thirdly, our aptitude. And finally, our fortitude. Look at verse 22. Paul said, abstain from every form of evil. The Bible talks about how we are to protect our spiritual turf. It's up to you to protect your house so to speak. In football, sometimes we talk about an opposing team coming into the stadium of another team. And the home team will say, look, we're going to protect our house. I want to ask you a question. Are you protecting your spiritual turf? 
Do you know what Paul said? Many, many years ago, Paul said, neither give place or opportunity to the devil. Now think about our space. Let me see if I can illustrate it like this. When people come up and talk to you, there's what I would call this space, this zone. I don't want people encroaching on that space, if you know what I'm talking about. When I talk to people, I don't want somebody right in my face, right? You want somebody right in your face? Why? Because I feel uncomfortable. Well, if you think about your spiritual life, that's your space. And what Paul is saying is, look, you can't afford to let the devil invade your space. Don't give him, don't give him an inch in your life. Paul said, abstain from every form of evil. So what does that mean? It means I need to be careful about the kind of people I hang out with, don't I? What was it Solomon said? The righteous should choose his friends carefully. The way of the wicked leads them astray. Or what about in chapter 13, verse 20 in Proverbs when he said, He that walks with wise men will be wise. But he said, A companion of fools will be destroyed. So, when you are with the wrong crowd, doing the wrong thing, at the wrong place, and I would add to this, at the wrong time, you are in trouble. So what does that mean? It means you better be careful about the kind of people you associate with, and you need to be very careful about your activities. Here's something to think about. As a young person, there are a lot of things that you can do. You can hang around with one another. There are a lot of wholesome activities. But you know, there comes a point in time at night when you need to go home. And I would simply say, nothing good ever happens after midnight. When did I get in trouble when I was, when I was growing up? Let me tell you when I got in trouble, after midnight. And what I'm saying to you is, don't get caught in the wrong place with the wrong people doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. Why? Because you will live to regret it. So what Paul is saying here is, look, you stay away from anything that would do what? That would invade your spiritual life. Don't compromise your spiritual life. Don't let, some, don't let the devil come in and take over your turf. It's your house. It's your life. And guess what? It's your decision, isn't it? James said, resist the devil and what? He'll flee from you. So, here is Paul's perspective for how to live a successful Christian life. Some bullet points. If you want some bullet points to live by, here they are, right here. Matter of fact, you can take these little bullet points and memorize them. And every day, you can get up and you can say, rejoice always. That's my attitude. In everything, give thanks. That's my gratitude. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. That's my aptitude. Abstain from every form of evil. That's my fortitude. I'm going to be strong and courageous. I'm not letting the devil into my life. So, if you're here today, first and foremost, if you're not a Christian, let me tell you what 
the Bible says about becoming a child of God. You've got to have faith because the Hebrew writer said, without faith it's impossible to be well-pleasing to Him. So faith is mandatory. And faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We're instructed to walk by faith, not by sight. And then to repent, to turn away from a life of sin, just as Peter said in Acts 2, verse 38 on Pentecost Day. The Bible then says that we have the privilege of confessing with our mouth what we believe in our heart, Romans 10, 9 and 10. The Bible then says that we are to be baptized into Jesus for the remission of our sins, Acts 2, 38. When we do that, God puts us in the church, and then He wants us to live faithfully every single day so that one day He can give us that crown of life, Revelation 2.10. Now, if you're here today, and maybe God's Word hasn't been guiding your life from a practical standpoint, you haven't been living as you know God would want you to live, and you want to get right with God, well, look, John said if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what would you need to do? Well, repent of your sins, acknowledge it. Look, the Bible says confess your faults, confess your sins one to another, pray one for another. We could pray with you and for you, and the Bible says God will abundantly pardon. Won't you come as we stand and sing?